Welcome and thanks for listening to the Franklin Road Baptist Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to listen. This podcast consists of the preaching and teaching from the pulpit of Franklin Road Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Our prayer is that what you hear from this podcast will bless and encourage your Christian life as you seek to follow Him. We strongly believe there is no substitute for being a part of a thriving local church. If you're in the Murfreesboro area, we'd love to have you join us any Sunday or Wednesday. But if you are enjoying this preaching from somewhere else, we want to encourage you to find a Bible preaching church where you can grow and enjoy the fellowship of other Christians. If you're listening to this podcast and have never accepted Christ as your Savior, we would love nothing more than to help show you how you can have your eternity settled and begin your relationship with God. Feel free to visit us in person or online at frbc.com for more information. Now let's see what God has for us from His Word today. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll continue our series tonight. I do apologize for my raspy voice. I think I probably need a Reese cup. It's probably the last thing I need. But boy, I love those things. But... Um, 1 Corinthians 6, we're in a series, and we've not been at, at this for a while. I think last Wednesday night I preached a revival, and then we had a revival, and so we've been away from this for just a, a few weeks. But uh, the title of our series is our theme this year, Unmovable. Be you steadfast, unmovable. The idea is to try to get us to take our stand for the Lord. The uh, Corinthian church had moved, and uh, Paul had started this church. We learned about that in the book of Acts and they had moved away, and they were living like the world, the devil. And uh, we have a subtitle for this series entitled, Our Christian Conduct in a Carnal World. And you and I are called upon, in America that is, to live in a, a, a world that's very carnal, a culture that's moved away from God and its foundations, its moorings. And um, it's so sad to see how quickly... The foundations around us are crumbling, especially in areas of morality and truth and that which is right. And we don't move to another country. This is our country. We love it. And we pray for it. We support those uh, who are trying to lead us right. And um, But tonight, what I want to do, I'm not going to have you stand. I'm actually going to read the entire chapter so you kind of see how the chapter is put together. It actually covers a, a couple subjects. And then it concludes with what I'm calling the doxology of the chapter, doxology of the chapter. In the last verse, verse 20, we'll use that for our text verse. But um, let me just kind of read through this so you can kind of get the flow of it. And I'll have three points. And this is Bible study night, so uh, I want you to take some notes. I think you'll learn something tonight. You'll be reminded of something. You'll be able to be able to say at least when you leave tonight, oh, so that's why that's, I believe that. That's why we practice that. Verse number one, and he's using strong words here because this is a letter of correction to the Corinthian church. He says, dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do you not know? that the saints shall judge the world. And if the world should be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Speaking of civil lawsuits here, know ye not that we shall judge angels, how much more things that pertain to this life. 
If then ye have judgments of the things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. I speak to this for shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that should be able to judge between his brethren. For brother goeth to law with brother, and that before unbelievers. You ought to underline that. We're not supposed to do that in case you're wondering. Now, therefore, there is utterly a fault among you because ye have because ye go to law one with another. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why you do not rather, why do ye not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded or to betrayed? But in other words, be deprived of, of what you'd like. Nay, ye do wrong and defraud, and that your brethren. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such, circle this word, such were some of you. But you're washed, but you're sanctified, but you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. In other words, there are some things that can get its hooks in your jaws and bring you into bondage and drag you down. Meats for the belly and belly for the meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God hath both both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that, that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. That's speaking of marriage there. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Underscore these two words, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I like to read with me verse 20 out loud together, and just let's use this as our text verse. Let's read that in unison. Ready? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I'm going to speak on this subject from this chapter, bringing glory to God. Bringing glory to God. Your body, your soul, your person, your presence on planet earth should be bring glory to God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. And sometimes we think, well, we, we give God glory on Sunday morning when we worship. We give God glory from time to time. No, no, no. We should get in this mindset that we are made to bring glory and honor to God our, all of our waking moments. And uh, Father, bless now, please, your word. Help my voice to hold out, and I pray you'll teach us, please, in Jesus' name, amen. 
<clears throat> look around this thing, okay? I'll get going here in a minute. Maybe it'll cut loose. But to be blunt tonight, God wasn't get, getting any glory out of the Corinthian church. They had blown it. It was a mess. Not only were there divisions among them, they were suing each other in the civil courts of law. The lifestyles of many in the church had become sensual, like the culture around them. We talked at length in our introduction about how wicked and poisonous Corinth was. Uh, it would make San Francisco look like a Sunday school class. It was horrible. And they were slipping in their public testimony before others, and their personal testimony had failed to the point that the gospel was being hindered. That was a big thing. Why, why do we live a clean life? Of course, we live a clean life because Christ did. We live a clean life because that's what Christians are supposed to do. There should be some stain, hand of, of morality on the earth. But we live a good, moral, pure Christian life so that we can have the power of God and people will believe the gospel message when we give it to them. And so uh, that's what I think makes our church stand out and what we preach and teach here. This all matters. It matters how Christians live. I should not have to say that, but it matters how Christians live. I was talking with one of our folks today and they were talking to me about uh, just the, 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 the young men there, that there are to pick from and so forth and and she said to me, she said, you know, when you, get, when, you, when you get in the conversation with a young man, the first thing you got to clear out is what version of the Bible they, 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 they believe in. They're struggling with that, and then they struggle with whether or not they should drink alcohol or not, and that just turns it off for me. Do you understand that those are just basic things that Christians should believe? You and I should believe in the preserved Word of God. We should believe the Bible we have is the Word of God. There should be no question about that. There should be no question for many years, there was no question about Christians drinking alcohol. Now, all of a sudden, that's a question. So it goes without saying that it matters how Christians live. I will say that, that we're in a state that we're in in our world because God's people have walked away from basic Christian living. He covers this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And so Paul closes out chapter 6. He reminds all of us that God wants to get glory out of our life. We're all created for that purpose. In order for that to happen, we're just going to have to live good, clean lives. It also means you're not going to always be able to do what you want to do. We do what God wants us to do. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11 says this, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. you got to get through this thing. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, For by Him are all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible, invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. I don't need to tell you that all things means us. We were created for God. You do understand that God is your creator and he made you for his pleasure. That doesn't mean that we don't get pleasure. In fact, he made this world for us to receive pleasure from it. 
within the confines of the Word of God. Here the apostle reminds this church that God wants glory out of our lives now, not just later. And here's why. I want to just quickly break down verse 20. Then we're going to go back and break down the rest of the chapter. Um, what is it that God has done to us that allows him to get glory out of our lives? Number one, write this down. We are bought with a price. By the way, if it's too hot in here, we're at that stage where we're turning on the heat and turning on the air, turning on the heat, turning on the air. How many of you are too hot in here tonight? How many are too cold? How many are just right? I knew we had a lukewarm church. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> I'm kidding. I pulled you right into that, didn't I? So we just turned our heater on last night, and thank God it came on. And we woke up this morning sweating, but anyway. So Paul reminds the church that God wants glory out of our lives. And here's why. First of all, we're bought with a price. The price of Christ's precious blood. Listen, every person in this room that's born again, you're bought and paid for by the most precious thing in all the universe, the blood of Jesus Christ. That should matter to us. Secondly, we belong to him. We belong to him. Look at verse 20. We're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your soul and excuse me, in your spirit, which are God's. We're bought. We belong to him. Our entire being belongs to him. It's mentioned here. Our body, our soul, our spirit. God owns us all. and We should live like that. In other words, we should not just pay attention to what we do with our bodies, but what we do with our minds, what we pour into our mind. Um, we often consider that our soul belongs to God, but our body belongs to him as well. And he's going to discuss this in this chapter here. So I, I understand that this is not being taught in churches today. In fact, we're in a revolution right now with the doctrines of the word of God where they're either not being taught or they're being changed. I'm shocked by what, by what I read by preachers in social media. For instance, the new emerging church teaches the opposite of what I'm going to teach tonight. They do not teach that conversion brings much physical change, but just spiritual. And someone says, well, that should be enough. And I get the connection. If spiritual change occurs, there should be a natural or physical change on the outside. But they certainly don't teach that in their churches. Nor is it depicted in the atmosphere of the emerging church movement because of the struggles that they have with fleshly things. Um, they, uh, they, uh, therefore, the morals are not an issue in most of our new churches. Instead, seeing how high and, and, and how holy they can live is not an issue, but seeing maybe how low they can live, or the accent, I should say, is on freedom in Jesus and acceptance of every form of lifestyle. Now, I don't want you to miss this. Anyone is free to come to this church. But just because anyone's free to come to this church doesn't cause us to change what the Bible teaches. I'm setting you up because there's going to be some major heavy-duty things in chapter 6 we're going to talk about. And, and we're going to talk about them because they're in the Bible. Could you say amen right there? And so much of society has walked away from this. I believe we have freedom in Jesus, but I also believe that we should live like the Lord. 
This book teaches the exact opposite of what is being teached in many of the apostate churches today. Paul wrote about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, I'm going to get into it, but I want to just throw you one more thing out there. I want you to consider. I want you to listen very closely. <clears throat> Sadly, today, a lot of Christians don't read their Bibles. But what they do is they listen to a lot of blogs, man's teaching, and there are some great ones out there. And they read a lot of books. So if you find yourself reading more books about God, listening to more blogs about God, and searching <clears throat> some of the uh, uh, Twitter or Instagram or Facebook sites and reading about God, then you do taking up the literal word of God, you can be led away very quickly. Understand people are trying to sell books, and so they're going to say nice things in those books. Is everybody with me? God wasn't trying to sell a book. He has a lot of nice things in here, but he has some very truthful things we need to learn. Much of the literature today that's being produced for Bible studies, and especially for ladies' Bible studies, are being produced by apostate teachers. And you need to check that out. They circumvent the authority of Scripture. They make you feel good about your sin. It's all about being enticing and very subtle. When I pick up a book, one of the first things I want to know is, who is this person's pastor if they're not a pastor? You'd be shocked to find out where some of the leading writers attend church. Many of them attend apostate churches. I want to know what their doctrine is. I want to know... For instance, uh, do they attend their church, or do they just talk about it, or do they ever talk about it? How were they trained? Where were they trained? What's their doctrine of salvation? Are they Reformed theologians? What's their doctrine about baptism? They think baptism saves you? You understand there's a big movement right now about everybody getting baptized, and, uh, and I think you should be baptized after you're saved. I think it's the first step of obedience for every believer but I think we should do it for scriptural reasons. The water does not wash your sins away. Uh, the blood of Jesus Christ does that. What is their position on communion? Does communion, is it a, uh, is it a uh, what I'm trying to say, a sacrament? They believe that the communion has atoning, uh, atoning uh, uh, power. If you take the, the drink the, the cup, we believe the Bible teaches us all symbolism. Jesus said this, do in remembrance of me. Uh, what do they believe about marriage? What do they believe about divorce? What do they believe about sin? You ought to know these things. And so, uh, you know, once you understand what the person believes theologically, then you may or may not want to read the book. Kind of get a little amen on that right there. Find out about their background. Find out about their marriage. Find out about a little bit about them. Now, I know this makes you feel a little uncomfortable, but my goal for, uh, for you as your pastor is that whenever we come to the end of the life, God gets glory out of your life. I want God to get glory out of your life. I will stand to give an account someday of what I taught you. And you heard that from this pulpit. It's the most beneficial thing you could ever want and hope for is that you get God gets glory out of your life. So in this section, let me give it to you. Number one, Paul is addressing some practical ways that we can bring glory. Number one, bring glory to God in legal matters. Bring glory to God 
in legal matters. Verses 1 through 8. Here I'd like to show you the dare. Verse 1, dare any of you? He's going to ask a question. Have a matter against another? Go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? What's he talking about? He's, talk, he's exposing the sin right here. These Corinthians were taking each other to law, suing them. And uh, he exposes the problem. And he said, uh, could you not just take it to the church and let the church decide? Which, by the way, we have room in our Constitution to do that uh, if you choose. If you've got ought between somebody else in some legal civil matter, we don't try criminal trials. <laughs> you understand that, right? Um, we've only exercised this a time or two because usually people settle things. But uh, then he brings the deception up. He says, uh, could you not settle this in the church? Here's the deception. Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? Did you know that? Did you know that someday you're going to judge the world? In the millennial reign? Um, and if the world should be judged by you, are you, not, are you unworthy to judge in the smallest matters? These are the smallest matters. I'm, and, and I'm not talking about murder or, or, or terrible crimes that's going on. I'm talking about maybe a property line or I'm talking about somebody cheated you on, on a used car or something like that. I, I don't know, you know. Uh, could we not kind of work that out amongst each other? <clears throat> he says, uh, know ye not that we should judge angels? Did you know that? Did you know that as a Christian in the church that you'll judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If, ye, if then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. So in other words, Corinth looked around. They didn't have anybody do this. They had messed up so bad. So we have the dare. We have the deception here. Then we see the disappointment. Verse 5, he goes looking around. He says, I speak this to your shame. Is it so that there is no wise man among you? No, not one that should be able to judge between his brethren. They had nobody that had grown in grace enough to handle these matters. No wise men. And again, I, I want to stop and say this. I think I just touched on it the other day. We need strong male leadership in this church. We need men that will keep their lives pure and be able to help other people out whenever there's some grievance and, uh, and grow in the Lord. And so uh, we see now the, uh, the disappointment here and, and then the, the dearth of, of leadership. We see a defect or a fault in verse 6. But brother goeth to law with brother that, that before unbelievers. They run their testimony here, folks. Now, therefore, there is utterly a fault among you because you go to law one with another. So we see here this, uh, this defect. This church was humming along really good. People being saved, getting baptized. The thing was growing. And all the unsaved people around them, their neighbors, their coworkers, and so forth, say, man, there's a happening going down in the First Baptist Church, Corinth. And all of a sudden, it just kind of blows up on the inside. 
There's divisions and splits and people arguing and fussing and suing each other. And they're, they're going downtown to the courthouse and all the people works at the courthouse unsaved. They're saying, man, this, this church is nothing but a joke. By the way, I've watched that happen. I've watched churches get in fusses and arguments and it gets so bad that churches split and they sue each other for things. That's ridiculous. And the world knows you're not supposed to do that. May God help us. I'm grateful that our church all these years has stayed good in that. And we're going to do, do our best to do that till Jesus comes. But maybe you've heard of, of blow-ups like that. I came out of West Virginia. Man, oh man, they, they uh, sometimes they just argue around. But uh, not our church. We had a great church back home. And, and I don't know if we had any trouble like that. But um, there was a fault. There was a defect. They would see the defrauding. Now, you're not going to like this, but I'm going to show you what the Bible teaches about this. Look at verse, um, verse number seven. Why do ye not rather take wrong? Why do ye not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Now you do wrong and defraud, and that's your brethren. He's saying that's what you're doing. You're suing your brother in Christ. You're depriving your brother in Christ when you should be willing to be deprived. And I ask you tonight, when you get in a tough spot with somebody, why don't you suffer wrong? Why don't you be willing to be defrauded? Now, I want to say something tonight and, and not allude to anybody, but we have church members in our church that have obeyed this truth. As their pastor, I've known about the struggles. I know folks that you worship with every Sunday, just a handful, that have lost thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars because they took it on the chin and said, I'm not going to cause any trouble in the church. I'm going to walk away from it. I've watched those same people slowly but surely have God take care of their family God take care of their marriage, and God turn around and help them dig out of it. It doesn't fare so well for the other party from time to time, but nevertheless, we must be willing to be defrauded. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called the children of God. And I will tell you that the people that I'm aware of that have done this, they've done it with the right spirit, and oh, how, what testimonies they have in our church. A person that desires that God gets glory out of their life will let most things go and just let God take care of it. I want to say that again. A person that wants God to get glory out of their life will just let most of these things go and let God take care of it. Number two, write this down. Bring glory to God in testimonial matters. In testimonial matters. We see here a damaged reputation. The Corinthians had damaged their testimony in front of their friends. At salvation, they had repented of their sins and come out of the world. And now they're backslidden. They're giving a horrible example to those around them. <clears throat> we see a deceptive understanding in this in verse number 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? You ought to circle that word not. Know ye not? He said, don't you know this? They were deceived. 
Do you not? Um, today, I'm amazed at the number of Christians that are completely deceived in this matter of sin. They have no clue of the damage they're doing with the sin in their lives. And no one seems to want to address it. Um, <clears throat> and at the same time, we get really upset and horrified at the wickedness that shows up in our government. We get horrified uh, of the evil uh, that shows up in our maybe public education board meetings. But you mention the stuff that I'm getting ready to mention in the church. People look at you like you're being judgmental, like you're condemning, like you're entire, intolerant. Look at these words. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves and mankind, thieves, covetous, drunkenness, revilers, extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. Did you not know that? Revelation 21, 7 through 8 says, He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he should be my son. But the fearful, and the unbelieving, and the abominable, and the murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, I shall have their part in the lake of fire, which burneth with, with brimstone forever and ever. So a list is given here, and he says, uh, are you deceived? The person who remains in fornication is not going to heaven. Are you deceived about this matter of adultery or adulterers? Those that remain in that don't seek, to seek the forgiveness of God. And how many thank God for forgiveness in those things? Well, you say define the word effeminate, it means exactly what it says. It means what it's always meant. Again, I address our men here. You're masculine. Your gender does not change. Well, there's a lot of things I can say right here. But a born-again Christian with the Spirit of God and then with a bow in their hands, I don't need to say it. Walk like a man. I'd say talk like a man, but I sound like Barney Fife tonight. So anyway. Nor abusers of themselves with mankind. What's that mean? It means the same thing as always meant. Sodomy is of the devil and straight out of hell. You won't hear that taught in emerging church. How many thank God he forgives it? If we repent and get it right. Um, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. I didn't write it. I'm preaching it. But there's this deceptive understanding what the Corinthians are saying. Uh, Paul was saying, you got to know this. Why are you living like that? You're Christians. You are not supposed to live like that. He's not giving them license to live like, like that. He's exposing the fact that that's what they're doing. We'll address it later. He talks about drunkenness here. He gets on them later in the book that we're studying. They were getting drunk at the Lord's table. You're not going to get drunk at the Lord's table when we have it because, number one, it's not firm. And number two, there ain't enough of it because it's a symbol. Then we see a definition of a brightness. It's given here that names them. We see their doom. They should not inherit the kingdom of God. We see their difference in verse number 11. And such were 
past tense, some of you, but you should not be living that way now. And then we see the beautiful deliverance here found in verse number 11. But you're washed, you're sanctified, but you're justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Now, this is a beautiful outline, preacher's outline here. We see deliverance through Christ. We have our sins washed away by the blood of Christ, number one. We're sanctified or set apart to live for Christ, number two. Number three, we're justified by the name of Jesus Christ, meaning he has signed our spiritual legal papers. Uh, we're justified by his name, making us, in other words, he signed on the dotted line for us, making us uh, his child, joint heirs, saints of God. We're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. In this one verse alone, there are four great theological doctrines mentioned. The doctrine of atonement, the vicarious suffering of Christ. The doctrine of sanctification, the doctrine of justification, the doctrine of the indwelling of the Spirit of God. All mentioned right here in one verse. It's a powerful verse. Ladies and gentlemen, as long as, as, long as you remain deceived into thinking that your sins do, does not, do not damage your reputation, you're washed up when it comes to giving out the gospel. Because people aren't going to listen to you. They see no change in your life, then you're wasting your time. I know what you're thinking. Well, what if I go knock on someone's door and tell them about Christ and they don't know about me? God knows about you. And you want the Spirit of God on you for soul winning? And so uh, uh, no one's going to take that serious. I want to do this, and I want to take the time, and, and you just stick with me. I'll hurry through my third point. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 10. I want to read something to you here. I want you to take how you live seriously. Now, before I read through this uh, <clears throat> Hebrews chapter number 10, I'm going to read verses 26 through 31, but I want you to circle two words before I read it because this is often taken out of context. <clears throat> the illustration and allusion is to the Old Testament, but I want you to circle two words. Number one, I want you to circle in verse 26, the third word, we, or if we, that's talking about us, okay? I want you to skip all the way down to verse number 30, the second to the last word, and write this word down, his people. What I'm getting ready to read, <clears throat> people do not lose their salvation, but I want to show you what God thinks whenever we sin willfully. I don't think people necessarily stumble into sin. We say, well, they fell into sin, and I get that. I understand the temptation can come so quick, and boom, you've done something before you really understood what all was going on. But the truth of it is, if you're born again, the Spirit of God is inside you saying, no, 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 no. And there are just certain sins that we all know about. Everybody got me on that? Look at verse number 26. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye Shall he be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified, 
an unholy thing and hath done despite under the spirit of grace. That means you didn't listen. You insulted him. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. I want you to turn back to our text now. Let me just say this. I should have touched on this Sunday morning, my message. But I'm watching Christians take sin lightly. But every time you willfully sin, and you do it so much that you get to where you don't even care. You're taking the blood of Jesus Christ and trampling it under your feet and doing despite to the Holy Spirit of God. Grieve not the Spirit of God in which you're sealed unto the day of redemption. We must all be careful that we don't get to the place where we make light of sin in our life. And that's what the Corinthians were doing that's what the apostle is teaching right here in chapter number six. Number three, write this down. <clears throat> Bring glory to God in moral matters. Bring glory to God in moral, moral matters. We've already dealt extensively with the subject of fornication. Our last message on chapter five, so we're just going to hit, hit this running uh, tonight. But first of all, if you'll look please at God's, number one, God's moral standard for our bodies, verses 12 and 13. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. We've already read through this. I might touch on a couple of things, but I've got to move on here now. He's talking about uh, making some general statements here, and he's talking about uh, food. He's using illustration of food and fornication. There are more sins against the body than this, but food, he says, meats, verse 13, meats for the belly and belly for meats, but God, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now, the body is not for, for fornication. He's not talking about the belly now. He's talking about your entire body. Not talking about food. He's talking about fornication. Now, the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Write this little phrase down so you understand this. Our belly is for the body, but our body is for the Lord. Write that down. I'm going to explain it. Our belly or our stomachs, our belly is for the body, but our body is for the food. In other words, it does matter to God what we do with our body. It's not that he doesn't matter what we put in our belly. What we eat goes into our body, and our body goes back to the dust. So, so what we eat does matter. But the only thing that is hurt is your health or longevity of life. The body will be raised in the resurrection here, as the Bible says, with power, verse 14. He covers this in chapter 15. But what you do to your body or knowingly ingest into your body that is spiritually wrong, God cares. Let me see if I can explain this. You can eat grilled chicken or you can eat chicken dipped in batter three times, boiled in vegetable oil. And one may make you live a little longer and one may not. You can eat tofu, which I'm not going to. Or you can eat a cathead biscuit with butter. Amen. One may keep you here a little longer. You may die at the same time and get up there and be mad about the fact that you ate tofu instead of biscuits. But then when we start ingesting and putting into our body those things that we know is wrong. For instance, alcohol was always called spirits. 
pharma, pharmacia, or that which is not, that which is not a, a drug that's been prescribed for some type of medication that becomes addictive, then we're starting to get into a problem here now. Things that, that's used, smoked or whatever, that God never intended, we're getting into a problem there. And so God is not as concerned with what you put in your belly. And I say that lightly because God wants you to be healthy, okay? He wants all of us to be healthy. What well, God is concerned of what you do to your body. Now we get into the part that's sinful. God cares about this. So we got this moral standard for our bodies. Our bodies are members with Christ. Now, by the way, I could stop there and I could make about a third of you mad with that, that one topic right there. God cares what you do to your body. Secondly, our bodies are members with Christ. And here's, the, again, what's so spiritual about that, verses 15 through 18. Know you not your bodies are members of Christ? Then he uses this illustration here. Shall I take members of, of Christ and make them members of a harlot? God forbid. And so our, at salvation, we're joined to Christ. Verse 17, it's like marriage becoming one flesh. Illustration given here about the harlot. God forbid that. This is crazy. You would never do that. This matter of adultery and fornication is a very serious matter in God's eyes. That's why he says, flee it. Run from it. It's going to be around you. 1 Corinthians 7, 1. Now concerning the things where you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman, nevertheless to avoid fornication. Let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. That means that you and I should not even touch a woman that's not our wife. You say, preacher, don't you think that's kind of an overexplosion? No, not at all. Not at all. Um, try teaching that in the emerging church atmosphere. It's very fleshly. Sensualism outside of marriage has no place in the life of a Christian or in the life of a church. That's what he's teaching here. Then thirdly, fornication is magnified over other sins. Watch how this is worded here. Verse number 18. <clears throat> Flee fornication, period, two words. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. This pulls this particular sin out, and it identifies it in a different way. Let me say it like this. We've always heard that sin is sin, and that is true. However, there are at least, at least six sins mentioned in the Bible that seem to be magnified. Let me give them to you. Number one, blasphemy or blaspheming the Holy Ghost, which is attributing the miracles of God to Satan. According to Mark chapter 3, verse 28 through 30, this is unforgivable. Number two, sodomy in the Old Testament is considered a confusion of the flesh and an abomination, Leviticus 18.22. And 2 Corinthians 3 indicates that sodomy would be an end-time notable sin. In other words, you're going to see a rise in it. Number three, bestiality, Leviticus 18 through 23, don't make me define that, it's sickening, but the Bible calls it an abomination. Abomination 
is a magnifying of a sin that is, seems to be more in God's eyes than a transgression. Number four, child sacrifice. Deuteronomy 12, 31. This is all just makes us sick, but these are sins that are pulled out in the light. This is next one's going to surprise you. Number five, discord among the brethren. Proverbs 6, 15, 16, and 19 calls discord, calls discord among the brethren an abomination and states in verse 15, it has no remedy. Can you believe that sowing discord among the brethren is a magnified sin like blaspheme the Holy Ghost, sodomy, bestiality, and child sacrifice? Now, the sin we have in front of us, fornication, and then later it talks about adultery, verse 18, this is a sin that is not maybe considered an abomination, but is pulled out as a sin against your own body. What does that mean? It means that this sin is forgiven like any other sin, but you carry it with you. It is forgiven, but it is rarely forgotten by you or the one it is committed with. So it's just something people have to live with. How many thank God that sin is forgivable? So what is our mindset of moral behavior? Verse number 19, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and you are not your own? What should be our mindset in all of this? What you and I should do so we can be safe and living a good, clean life so that God can get glory out of our life is we should, number one, declare our bodies God's temple, God's sanctuary. Our young people sing the song, Lord, make me a sanctuary. Well, honestly, when the Holy Spirit comes in to live, he's setting up that sanctuary immediately. It's our job to keep that thing clean for him. Number two, dedicate your entire being to God. The Bible says here, you're not your own. And number three, die to self daily. There are just going to be some things in life that you want to do that God may not let you do. And you got to settle in on that and submit to God. Well, you're probably glad I didn't have a preacher's voice tonight because I'm done and it's gone. But I want to ask you right now, is God getting glory out of your life right now? Let's stand together, please. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Father, this evening, we're grateful for your word. And uh, we so much want you to get glory out of our lives. Not a perfect person in here. None of us are. But dear God, help us to keep our sin on short accounts. May no sin be outstanding. May we all do what we can so that we can shine as lights in this pagan dark world. We pray, please, in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed.